You're listening to Speaking to Influence, communication secrets of the C-suite. Do you want to speak with confidence and authority, have more influence, and get bigger and better results? Whether you're a top executive, an entrepreneur, or climbing the career ladder, this is the show for you. The leader who wants to inspire others and leave a lasting legacy. Now here's your host, world-renowned TEDx speaker, author, and executive communication coach, Dr. Laura Sokola. Welcome to the podcast, Speaking to Influence, Communication Secrets of the C-Suite. I'm Dr. Laura Sokola, your host, founder of Vocal Impact Productions and author of Speaking to Influence, Mastering Your Leadership Voice. My guest this week is Chantelle Capodacasa. With 20 years of experience in the banking industry, she is a senior vice president with TD Bank and serving as the regional vice president for commercial and small business banking in Southern New Jersey. She currently serves on the boards for the Burlington County Regional Chamber of Commerce, the YMCA of the Pines, the Princeton Regional Chamber of Commerce as treasurer, and the Medford Business Association as president. Chantal's husband, Colonel Michael Capodacasa, is a veteran pilot and still serving with the U.S. Air Force Reserves today. And thank you, by the way, Chantal, for all of your service. They live in Medford, New Jersey with their two boys, Alex, who's 12, and nine-year-old Dominic. Welcome to the show, Chantal. Thank you for having me. Now, what is your fun fact? My fun fact is I am an animal lover and I foster for the Burlington County Animal Alliance, which is so much fun. My children are just as much involved. Uh, Everyone asks me how I can do that and give them away. Do that in giving away the animals, not your children. Yes, exactly. Because my children are invested for a little period of time and I can't do it on my own and I get to pick and help choose the families that the animals go to. So I get to help a lot of animals this way versus just saving one. But someday, at some point, we'll adopt another one our own. But it is so fulfilling and the animals are wonderful. I feel like they come trained and it's just a way to give back and to get the whole family involved and to take care of an animal in need. So that's my fun fact. That is fun fact. Is it dogs and cats primarily or something else? My husband is deathly allergic to cats. So unfortunately, we can't have cats. It is just dogs at this point, all sizes, young and old. And we have fostered so far 12 and we have a bulletin board where we take a photograph and we post that on our foster dog family bulletin board so we can keep track. And I check in with a lot of the adopted families from time to time to see how many are doing. So it's something we just love. Yeah. That's so sweet. And then you get lots of warm and fuzzies for a little while, but you're not constantly picking up after them and doing all that fun stuff either. Oh, absolutely. I actually had a client today drop off a toy and it was a miniature purse and it said Chewy Baton on it. And he said, here, (laughs) keep this for uh, some of your foster dogs to play with because I'm always collecting toys and my team always uh, at Christmas, I'm always seeing to get like a Chewy.com gift card because they know that I'm always having a different animal that, you know, needs some love and attention. So, so yeah, it's great. That's fun. Chewy Vuitton. See, even dogs need to go high fashion and have their status symbols so that when they're in the dog park together, they know who's boss. That's hysterical. I love it. Uh, Now, tell us a little bit more about your company. Tell us, what is your 30-second elevator pitch? Sure. So TV Bank is a regional bank. We are located from Maine all the way down the East Coast of Florida, looking to grow. My division is commercial banking, so I'm responsible for a team of relationship managers who handle a portfolio of clients. A commercial team is up to about $120 million in revenue size or so is their target focus. And then I have a small business team that focuses on customers, maybe up to about $20 million in sales size. So the reason we have small business and commercial is because the complexities vary. 
and the needs change over a business cycle. We enjoy what we do. We love helping as many customers as we can. And we consider ourselves relationship managers where we're trying to be as proactive as possible and consulting with those business owners to help them manage through different business cycles in terms of their financing and their cash management needs and deposit needs. Terrific. And with all of that, what is a common misconception and something that you wish more people understood either about your role, your company, or the industry? And most importantly, what's your personal role in changing that perception? I would say a lot of small business owners are extremely busy and they're trying to work to be the next middle market size company. Well, most of them are. They want to grow and they want to make that their retirement plan, whether they transition that business to a buyer or keep it within the family. And it's so important to have a relationship manager that you can work with at a bank that you feel loyal to that has your back and that cares about you and your success. And so some of us, you know, we get called lenders, right? Oh, I have a lender. And I cringe at that. We're not just lenders. We're relationship managers. We're here to really understand, get behind the driver's seat, if you will, as if we were shadowing the CFO for the day so that we could make suggestions on ways that we could help improve efficiencies, save you money, save you time, and ultimately help you grow the business. So I'd say that's a misconception, right? We don't just lend money out. We're here to advise on the whole picture. And we do that as it's free advice from us, right? So it's not something we charge for. And who is it that you personally are talking to and how do you help them to understand this? Or how do you help the wider population understand this distinction? Oftentimes you have banks that have multiple branch locations and it's not uncommon for a business owner to have a local branch that they visit and they know who that store manager and that staff and who that teller is. And that staff should make that business owner feel warm and fuzzy, right? But the relationship manager is someone that's dedicated and assigned to the accounts in the relationship where they're almost like a concierge. So the business owner should be hearing from that relationship manager on a quarterly basis and be able to pick up the phone and get that relationship manager and their team, their commercial sales assistant on the phone, if they have any kind of need, anything, right? A service issue, something that they're looking to discuss versus having to call a 1-800 number or maybe wait in line at a branch, you know, if the staff is busy to try to get someone that can handle their specific request. And Chantal, tell me about a time when you allowed yourself to be emotionally vulnerable with your team. How did it impact your relationship with them moving forward? Well, I think we're all human. And so I'm definitely not afraid to be vulnerable with my team. And what comes to mind, probably the most significant moment that I've ever had was when my father was diagnosed with stage four prostate cancer, which came Mm. upon pretty unexpectedly. 2016, he was diagnosed March and he passed in October. So it was about seven months at the time I had young children. I had almost five and almost two and I'm living in Southern New Jersey and my husband and I were trying to manage this news. He was a pilot. So there'd be times when he would be out of town for work and my father was in Connecticut. And so I was leading a team at the time in commercial banking at another institution. And that news that I got, I recall my leader at the time, actually got the news from my husband because my husband found out my father was trying to keep it from me. he He was rushed to the hospital. He knew something was wrong for a little while. You know, I was an only child, so he still very much was a little bit protective. And my husband called my leader to let me know because I was at work. And so then my leader is trying to distract me to get me home safely because I'm getting this awful news that, you know, I thought he was going to pass at that moment within probably 48 hours to 72 hours. He ended up getting treatment and sticking with us for another seven months, but it was soul crushing. I was very close to my dad he was, his plans were to retire and move down to South Jersey within a couple of years to be closer to his grandsons. 
and it was very unexpected. And so for the next seven months, it was kind of like a whirlwind, right? You're, I'm mm-hmm. trying to go up to Connecticut and speak to doctors as often as I could to understand what was happening, what the options were, be a second set of ears, drilling them with questions. And at the same time, I have two little boys at home that are wondering where mom is because I'm trying to juggle back and forth this three hour ride and and spend as much time as I could because he couldn't be moved. He had to be up in Connecticut. It was really challenging. Once it happened within a week, I let everyone know what was going on. And I apologized that I was going to be a little bit distracted. I asked my leadership team for some additional support which, you know, great leaders offer support, you know, everyone goes through things yeah. and to pretend like I'm, you know, made of stone and that I can just handle it all. is just unrealistic from a human compassion and human element. It was rough. You know, I remember at that time, you know, that was my focus. It was family first and we'd fallen behind a little bit on our plan as a team and I was checking in and out. I didn't actually take a formal leave, but I was fortunate enough to have great leaders understand what I was going through and sub in on a few meetings for me. I think it made our team a little bit closer. I think expressing my vulnerability and letting them see that at the end of the day, family comes first above all, it probably empowered them to be a little bit more safe and sharing things with me and realizing that I'm absolutely supportive of that same messaging. If you don't take care of yourself and you don't take care of your family, what are we doing here, right? This right. is what it's all for. So that stands out as the most significant moment. And my team rallied around me and they were wonderful from a support perspective. And then, of course, when he eventually passed, I came back and I needed the distractions. I poured myself right back into work and we did well that year. We ended up making up some of our gap, ironically enough. But I just distinctly remember a very senior leader calling me and I was worried at that time about where we were from a plan. And she kind of called me and almost had like a grab me by the shoulders moment and said to me, Chantel, everyone can have an off year. What else can we do for you? you're worried so much about the business. What can we do to help you? And you need to set your mind on spending as much time as you can with your family. And we'll, we'll do whatever you need because you've been so supportive of us over these years and you've been such an asset to the team. And so both ways, right? From what my team had to endure with me being out a little bit and dependent on me, I got the same support up the chain from senior leadership who knew that I had this going on. That's really beautiful to know that you've got each other's backs that way and to have that kind of trust in the organization that really speaks to the culture of the organization and the leadership therein. Absolutely. And I was worried. I'll be honest. I was worried about it. And I remember saying to this leader, well, you know, listen, like what makes me special? Everyone goes through hell at some point in their lives, right? Why should I be treated any different? You know, I kind of had at that time that mentality that I can share with my team, but I had to tough it out for the steps up the leadership sure. chain. I had to almost act invincible and she was not having it. She called me right out on that. Good, good. She had the insight. That's terrific. And the emotional intelligence to connect with me in a way to make me feel safe, which was wonderful. Also great role modeling. Absolutely. Now on the flip side, tell me about a time when you needed to assert yourself powerfully. Well, I don't know if I asserted myself powerfully, but I would say that I was brave in one instance. I don't tend to beat my chest. Let's put it that way, right? I believe a lot intact. And even if you have to challenge an idea or something that's been widely accepted for a while, you know, I'm trying to be careful not to insult anyone in the room or anyone who maybe started with that initial idea, right? So I'm very careful about that and trying to suggest ways to make processes better and be a part of the solution. And one particular time that comes to mind, we all remember... COVID. We still have PTSD. I think that's fair to say. We all remember COVID. Yes. Especially in banking, right? We had a lot of PPP loans that we had to pump out 
Mm-hmm. You know, we were working all hours of the day. That's all we did. That was our mission to help as many Americans as we could get access to financing to help their business survive during these awful times, right? And so we like to say we were flying that airplane while we were building it, when we were sure. building out that program. And we were tasked to implement all of these loans and we're looking at documentation we had never seen before. So we're literally thrown into the mix to be subject matter experts on something we did not have a lot of confidence in. We were learning, I think, the protocol about a week before we went live. So we powered through that. We helped so many customers. And then later on came the time to start working through the process for the forgiveness piece, right? Which is a very emotionally charged process for many customers seeking the initial PPP loan. And then on the back end, knowing that that loan was going to be forgiven by the government, that they weren't going to be on the hook for whatever amount of dollars they had qualified for. And our division or our bank was dedicated to helping as many customers as we could, but then trying to get through the forgiveness piece as fast as possible. And so my moral of my story here was we were under a lot of pressure to get them done and in short order. And I recall particularly, this was a high stress time. We were still operating as a bank, right? Day-to-day processes were still going on. Sure. And we ended up being a bit short-staffed in a lot of our back office divisions. So if a customer was calling us for a payoff or a service request, a lot of those delays were occurring because a lot of people couldn't come into the office. We just Mm -hmm. didn't have the boots on the ground. So we have that in the background. And I recall we were all on this region-wide Maine to Florida. All of us leaders were on this conference call. And in a way... It was kind of like a mandate. How can we haven't moved faster? This relationship manager has 10 forgiveness loans in their queue. What are they doing to get through them as quickly as possible? And how come you have 20? So it was kind of like a call out. Sounds like a chastisement. Yeah, in a way, the intention was there because we wanted to get them processed as quickly as possible. A lot of us were feeling, all right, pump the brakes a second because we absolutely want to do this, but we want to make sure we have the right instruction to get it done the right way. And it was very silent and we're going through each one of the RMs that have so many forgiveness loans in their queue that haven't been processed yet. And it's crickets. And finally, you know, I spoke up and I just took myself off mute and I said, with all due respect, I just want you to know, and I'm going to speak for myself, but I probably can speak for the majority on this call. And a lot of these leaders I had never met, right? Because it was the entire bank wide. And I said, I think we all care very deeply about getting the forgiveness loans processed as quickly as possible and giving all of our customers and as many Americans as we can peace of mind. But we need some help, right? In order for us to get comfortable with this process and to dive in head first and do what you're asking of us, we need a little more support on making sure we're doing it correctly because if we don't want to mess this up. And second, we need support from our servicing department, right? At the same time that we're being charged to make this our priority, we have four or five other conflicting priorities because there are a lot of service requests and customers that are getting frustrated with us that we're not answering them in a timely manner because of the short staff situation. How can we work better to get this done? And then as soon as I finished, I had my Microsoft Teams up mm-hmm. and all of a sudden I hear boop, 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 boop. all these messages are popping in and there are leaders in Fort Lauderdale up in Maine, all sending me a message saying, thank you so much for speaking up. Thank you so much for saying something. I couldn't agree more. And it was empowering, right? Because I felt like we were all worried or afraid to say how we really felt. But at the end of the day, it was so worth it because the second I hung up, another senior leader jumped in and said, well, tell me a little bit about that because they weren't in the know what we were facing, right? We were trying to handle it all in our own little pods. And as soon as that call was over, he picked up the phone and called me and we walked through. I gave him various examples of challenges we were facing. 
And I said, I know this is not just me. And he says, thank you for sharing that with me. We absolutely have to divide and conquer because while we might be helping as many people on the forgiveness loan, we don't want customers leaving us at the back door because we're failing to provide the service that we've dedicated ourselves to. And it just shows that, you know, sometimes you have to tactfully ask the question. And I preface it by saying, we care a lot about getting this done right, right? We're not trying to slack off. (laughs) We just need the support. And it doesn't seem like it was the bravest thing to speak up and say, but I guess when you have an audience that big and there are a lot of senior leaders on the call, it can be a little bit intimidating. So I was proud that I was the voice for my fellow peers in that moment. And we got what we needed. It was successful. (laughs) We got the support. And it sounds like you did it tactfully. You weren't yelling at him in return or saying, you know, what do you think we're doing here? We're not a bunch of idiots or we're not a bunch of whatever else. But saying, look, we agree on the most important part, which is that we care and we want to do this well. We want to do it efficiently and we want to do it right. And we just don't know how to do that with the current resources that we have. So please share with us some insights. Help us help you help the customers. That's what we want to do. But a hundred percent. Terrific. Now, I think this is a good chance. So you levied a challenge back to them as far as how to do it right with the limited resources that you had. Now, this is your opportunity, Chantal, to challenge the audience. It's time for our listener 24-hour influence challenge. So What challenge would you like to levy with regard to a step that everyone can take and complete? One single step they can complete within 24 hours to have more influence. Obviously, it would encourage everyone and anyone to speak up. So if you tend to be a little bit more introverted or silent or on a conference call, and I'm sure we all work in various industries and environments, but I'm sure teams come together weekly at minimum to get on some type of joint effort whether it be in person or WebEx, whatever that might be. And if you tend to sit and nod, right, I'm challenging you to share a best practice, to speak up and ask a question. And on the flip side, if you tend to be the one that has no fear and you speak up a lot, to maybe encourage some engagement from some of your fellow peers or maybe invite someone into the conversation if you feel that some others might be a little bit more timid in voicing their opinion. Diversity is a huge focus for many organizations, and we can't be the best that we can be unless we get the input and ideas from everyone, right? And we know that engagement comes from feeling like your voice is heard and that you're coming to work and you understand what you're working towards. And sometimes I get nervous when it's too quiet. When I just get a lot of nod and smiling, it's like I don't have their buy-in. No one's saying anything. Right. So yes. are we, are they following like what the directive or the communication or the mission is, you know, are they bought into what we're all trying to accomplish as a team? So I notice as a leader, especially for those that are aspiring to be leaders, that's how you're going to get noticed. Even if you ask a question or if you make a mistake and you want to share the mistake you made and what you learned from it, you know, for the betterment of the group, that's courageous. And that's making sure that the company or your organization does better next time. I think that's empowering too. You know, not being afraid to admit you've made a mistake and what you've learned from it and sharing that best practice or that feedback with your group. Yes, yes. And I think so many clients I've worked with, those who are on the quieter side and more hesitant to chime in during meetings, there's often the internal filter that says, what if I don't give the right answer? And Who said you have to give the right answer where there's this whole long discussion going on among the team? Nobody said that in order for you to contribute, you have to give the silver bullet where in one fell swoop, you solve the whole problem and people can move on. It's about just contributing to the ideas. Add one little 
nugget in that maybe somebody else will ping pong off of and you're going to add to the process. It's just being one of the ingredients in the cake, not baking the entire cake on your own. So I think it's great to just encourage people that way. Like you said, even sharing mistakes adds value in perspective. And not being afraid to ask a question. There's always the old adage of I'm afraid to ask a stupid question or someone always will say, this might be a stupid question. There's no such thing as a stupid question. And I have never hesitated. I don't know why, but I feel like I'm more afraid of the outcome if I misinterpret the instructions or I'm not following, right? So I will raise my hand and say, and maybe it makes other people feel more comfortable because other people might just pretend that they understand what maybe the speaker is talking about or they're following along in the dialogue. And it happens to me all the time. What does that acronym mean? I'm sorry. Excuse me one second. You just said this acronym. I don't know what that means. Can you explain it to me? Just be fearless in that because it shows that you're actually even paying attention to the conversation. Yeah. <laughs> you're asking for further clarity, right? Yes. So don't be afraid to ask a question for clarity. Right. And it's showing that you want to contribute, that you want to understand and to keep up and to be part of it. And allowing yourself just to be silently ignorant is not going to help anybody do anything at that point. So I love it. All right. Now, tell me about a time when you interviewed a candidate for a leadership role and you just thought to yourself, wow, this person really has it. What was the it factor and how did you recognize it? I look for the it factor as in having real life story examples of what this individual or person did. I mean, these questions that you're asking me too, they're experiential questions, right? So I studied the interview process very early on. A little background, when I graduated, I went to the University of Connecticut. I graduated in 2003 and we were just starting to transition to prepping for the interview process. And at that time it was focused on like strengths and weaknesses, which is very hypothetical. And I remember when I went through the process in my years of banking and learning about different interview techniques and approaches, I was taught the STAR approach. You know, if I ask a question, a very pointed question, and if I say to you, Dr. Laura, tell me about a time you had a very difficult client interaction or you made a mistake and what happened, it can freeze someone up like a deer in the headlights because you're asking them to recall a specific story. But if that person can tell you exactly what that situation was, what action they took and what the result was, you know that that past performance or their behaviors in those past performances sometimes can be an indication of how they're going to behave in the future. And I can't begin to tell you how many interviews I conduct and a lot of people are just simply not prepared with, they don't have to be elegant responses, but just examples, right? And so oftentimes when someone comes in and we can ask these challenging questions, right, that are uncovering multiple competencies about a leadership position, how they lead themselves, how they lead the team, how they motivate, how they inspire, overcome difficult situations, you name it, right? This one individual, I mean, every example was such a stellar example of and proven, this was an internal employee, proven where she went above and beyond to not only solve the issue, the challenge, the priority, the task, whether it be a task force internally, but to go above and beyond to make sure that there was success at the end and to follow up and check in. And it's not often when you have a candidate that can come in and, you know, we rate a lot of interviewers, and I don't know if a lot of the audience knows this, but when we ask those questions, we rate the responses, right? Do they just give me the bare minimum? Is it like a kind of meets expectation? Was it a good example or was it an amazing example? So on a scale of one to five, we rate those responses. And this individual had like a five response on every answer. She had so much emotional intelligence in addition to experience in the role and helping internal colleagues as well as customers and 
solving, thinking outside the box where she was able to take initiative and fix something on her own and get the right collaboration. I just remember that interview to this day. I still talk about that as an example where I'm coaching people who are up and coming. And I say, you never know when an opportunity will present itself and you have to interview within a week or two. What are you doing to prepare? You know, are you keeping a journal of the type of experiences that you're having in your role, in your Mm. nonprofit engagements, right? Where you stepped up as a leader or you were able to solve an issue or take initiative because those are tough questions. And when you're put on the spot, anyone can blank out, right? Yes. And then you can walk, you can be driving home from the interview and thinking to myself, oh, darn it, I should have told him about this time, right? So that it factor is someone who can articulate themselves well, but has the emotional intelligence to kind of connect the dots on all of those leadership competencies that we look for in either leading yourself or leading the team. So I think that it kind of explains it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, and it's not just one thing. There's not just one it factor, right? right. You right. know, you can be amazing at a couple of things and everyone has weaknesses and we're not trying to make anyone perfect. Don't go focus on all those weaknesses, focus on your strengths and what yeah. makes you stand out. Now, interviewing situations, of course, are one that make a lot of people nervous. What is a time when you were particularly nervous before a presentation or a speaking engagement or something? And what communication-related lessons did you learn from that experience? Oh, Dr. Laura, I'm still learning from that experience. No matter how much I get up to the podium to either be a panelist or be a moderator or, you know, give an intro, I feel like in general, I am comfortable with that. But I tend to get those nerves where your heart starts to beat in your chest and you hear thumping in your ears and you start to sweat a little bit. And I wish I had some mind over matter magic to kind of calm myself down those situations. I would say that I probably feel the most nervous when I have to be on script, right? Mm. Where I have to read something and I'm looking down because I'd rather just be me and share my own commentary. And if someone wants to ask me a question or I'm going to share an experience or an example with the audience, I'm most comfortable in my skin that way because it's authentic. And sometimes when I have to read something that's scripted, I feel a little bit more nervous. But yeah, I mean, geez, if you have any kind of tips for me to overcome that, (laughs) I'm all ears. You know, I think think it's human nature. It is. It is. Absolutely. That anticipation is almost worse than the act of talking. The scripting part is so hard because more often than not, I find that particularly corporate clients, when you are given a script, it's not something that you wrote. It's something that the compliance department wrote or something that the marketing team wrote or something that somebody else wrote. And the content is good. It's just not the way that you talk. So I think a tip for a lot of people is if you are given a script, you don't have to change the content per se, but see if you can at least revise it to an extent of look at a sentence And think to yourself, if I was just talking to a friend, is that what would come out of my mouth? Because if it's not, just paraphrase it and rewrite it as the way I would say it would be and then submit it for possible acceptance. And it's, it's definitely easier to ask forgiveness than permission, I find. So give the summary, let them tweak you, if there's something, ah, oh, we're not comfortable with that word, or we want to make sure you don't forget to say this piece, okay, then let them have a second pass at it. But it needs to sound like you for you to be able to feel confident and comfortable in your own skin and thus in your own voice with those words. You know, I kind of do that. I do kind of ad lib. I'll pause in between maybe 
introducing a speaker and share a quick tidbit if I know who that individual is or some an experience I've had where they made a positive impression on me or the community. So I haven't had my hand slapped yet, but that's how I, I guess I'm answering my own question. Yes. You're absolutely right. You know what I mean? I might leave it the way it is and then I will ad lib little bits and pieces to make it a little bit more authentic from me or less robotic that I'm just reading from a piece of paper, you know? Yes. And that's the other thing you're always taught in public speaking to, you know, like when you think about a TED talk, you walk around, you engage the audience, you make eye contact. And when you're reading a script, you know, I'm not going to memorize all of that. And if it's three pages long, it's like your head down. So I always look up and I just tried to ad lib. Haven't been beaten up too much about it yet though, but, <laughs> but you're spot on. It's, it's good advice. At least you're telling me that that's somewhat okay. <laughs> I think it's necessary because I think it's beyond okay because there's nothing more boring than having someone kind of robotically read words from a page that clearly they were told to read, but they don't seem to buy into themselves. It loses something in the translation. So uh, thank you for that little public service announcement there in the middle. And finally, Chantal, what's something that you do to create a little bit more fun for your team or organization? We like to have a lot of fun. I would say something that I'm proud of here at TD, we have this whole week dedicated to TD employee appreciation. And we get to choose what we want to do. We get a fixed budget of money to spend however we see fit. And as a team here, there are about 17 of us on the immediate team. And then we have internal partners. We invite them all. Let me see. Last June, it was a week long. We had Mr. Softy come to the office. <laughs> Which is ice cream for anybody who's not sure. Oh, who doesn't love ice cream? We have a putting green set up in the office where we have putting contests for gift cards. We are actually entertaining having like an animal welfare organization come and bring therapy dogs for the day and get some exposure there to the work that they do because a part of our campaign is employee giving. So we yes. all get to campaign for nonprofits that we, we donate to. And then last year, the entire team met at a local arcade where you can play, you know, by the hour. And that was a big hit because some of these games were bringing back a lot of childhood memories, right? I, and people were getting the biggest kick out of this saying, oh my gosh, I remember growing up and going to the grocery store and begging my mom for quarters to go play this game. I can't believe this game is here. And then we would all go grab a beer or grab some barbecue and sit together. And it's just a great way to blow off steam and spend time together as a team. And it's great that the organization recognizes that and kind of gives us the budget and encouragement to do that for a week long. We get all sorts of swag. I think I got a beach towel and a, and a cooler. <laughs> and, you know, it's fun because you get these surprise boxes. Yes. Of goodie bags. Now, the most important question, of course, is what is your video game of choice? My video game of choice? It's like foosball, but okay. it's hockey, you know, and it has the mm. Star Spangled Banner. Come on, you know, it looks like a big dome. Have you ever seen that before? Yes, so yes, yes. You know, like, Little players so kind of, of electronics. Uh, yeah. They spin around. Or, exactly. It's a little less screen based, which I'm always constantly bantering with my children over how much screen time. So I like that. I like that's a little bit more technical skill than how fast they click a button. Yes. I never got too good at that one. Uh, foosball either. I could do air hockey pretty well. That was, it was decent with the reflexes on air hockey. And as a kid, I have to say, I think Pac-Man and Ms. Pac-Man were frankly the only video games that I ever got any good on. And that's a really low bar to hurdle, all things considered. But I was at the beach in particular at the five and dime. That was the video game we'd always go for. So see, yeah. bringing back memories for you too. Absolutely. And not ones that brought back any memories of pride in skill, I have to say. But they were fun as kids, definitely begging for quarters and looking for quarters between the seats and the couch or under the car, those kinds of things, wherever we could find them. Well, this has been a fun walk down memory lane. Uh, Chantel, tell us how people can follow up with you to learn more about you and TD. 
Sure. You can find me on LinkedIn. Anyone can message me. I make myself available to chat with anyone. If you have a question or you want some leadership advice, or you're looking how to maybe engage and find a mentor, I'd be happy to chat with you and happy to give you my feedback anytime. So I appreciate you having me today. And this is wonderful. So thank you for making the time. I'm honored to be a part of your show. Well, it was great to talk with you. Great advice. And thank you, everybody else, for tuning in. As always, be sure to subscribe so that you never miss an episode. And don't forget to give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts so we can help even more people to increase their confidence, presence, and influence. And finally, if you want to download my free guide to equipment recommendations for virtual influence, including my picks for microphones, lights, and more, go to speakingtoinfluence.com. I'm Dr. Laura Sokola, and you're listening to Speaking to Influence, communication secrets of the C-suite. Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Laura Sokola, and I want to sincerely thank you for listening to the Speaking to Influence podcast. If you love listening to these episodes as much as I love bringing them to you, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And please go to iTunes right now to rate and review our podcast in order to help us expand our reach so even more people can master the three C's to command the room, connect with the audience, and close the deal. Thanks for listening to Speaking to Influence, Communication Secrets of the C-Suite, the show for leaders who want to speak with impact. The hosts, producers, owners, and media distributors of the show make no guarantees that the strategies and information discussed will result in profit or other success and may result in losses. The opinions and statements of the hosts and guests do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the owners, staff, managers, broadcasters, or sponsors of the show. No medical or psychological therapy or personal or professional wellness or relationship advice is offered in the show. You are advised to seek counsel on matters related to your health, family, relationships, job, or other business and legal matters from licensed advisors in those areas prior to making any changes in business or lifestyle. No information provided may be suitable in your situation. As always, take responsibility for the decisions and actions you take, including the reactions they may make in your work, family, health, and life.